This is episode 73 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and tonight I'm joined by two of the newest members of the Heavy Hockey Network from Fantasy Hockey Hacks, Devin Davidson and Bruce Gunther. Guys, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, I've been looking forward to talking Oilers hockey with you guys and getting some fantasy advice for the upcoming season as well. Uh, and it's also cool that for the first time in nearly four years of hosting this podcast, I have some fellow Oilers fans from Saskatchewan on the show. And, and Devin, you're even from <laughs> Saskatoon. That is correct. Yeah, it's, it's just funny the way things worked out that uh, we joined Heavy Hockey and and you just happen to be right here in Saskatoon as well. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> And Michael actually did live in Saskatoon for about seven years, but uh, he's lived most of his life in Edmonton, I believe, and he's out in Halifax now. Yeah. 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 And uh, you guys just living in Saskatchewan, uh, how many other Oilers fans do you know? Because since we don't have an NHL team here, there are fans of basically every team around. Uh, I mean, personally, I see Oilers gear around the city on a daily basis. Do you know many other Oilers fans in Saskatoon? Uh, I, I can't speak for you, Bruce, but I, I mean, that's the one I see the most, right? Is, is Edmonton. And if it's not Edmonton, uh, there seems to be a Calgary connection for whatever reason. I, I know quite a few people that <laughs> cheering for the wrong team, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, well, I know a few Oilers fans. My cousin Grant is a, is a big Oilers fan as well. And yeah, like, like Devin said, you walk around, I'll wear my Oilers jersey or my hoodie and I'll get lots of comments and stuff about it. Some good, some bad, but. You know, I think geography is part of it, right? Like Edmonton and Calgary are the two closest teams to uh, Saskatoon. And I remember there was an article in the Star Phoenix back in like 2009 where they asked, I don't remember the exact total of people around the city who their favorite NHL team was. And they found that over the age of 40, the, the Habs and the Leafs were the two most commonly teams that people cheered for. And then under 40, it it was more Calgary, Edmonton, and Pittsburgh, which I think Sidney Crosby probably played a part in that. But so I, I just think that for for at least um, fans who were post uh, the original six era, Edmonton would probably be one of the more popular teams in Saskatoon. That that makes entirely too much yeah. sense to me for sure. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, they they definitely have to be one of the the teams that's followed the most here and uh, like i said off the top we're going to be talking all things oilers and fantasy hockey tonight but since you're both first-time guests on the podcast i'd like to start by just hearing a little bit about how you started following the team so uh, when did you first get interested in hockey and how did you become an oilers fan bruce you can kick us off tonight oh well hockey's for me was pretty easy my dad played organized hockey a lot so we'd go watch his games and uh the easiest game from remember they um, played in Wormwood here against uh, some NHL alumni. And usually it's they do it's supposed to be a fun game, right? <laughs> well, the team that was my dad on, they had made the decision that they were going to push these guys and see how hard they could push these see, these NHL uh, players. They actually beat them 8-6. They, uh, after the game, they had said so that had been the most competitive game they had played as a alumni team. They they took it to him pretty good. It was kind of surprising to see these <laughs> watching these alumni players actually having to work again. It was. And were these games in the summer? Uh no, this was a winter game. It was in yeah. the winter. I was pretty small still then, but I remember because I got to got to go through the dressing room. I've got a car, team picture of the alumni, and they're all they've all got, they all signed it. 
just oh, kind of cool. went in, went in the locker room, just kind of went all the way around and out. There was lots. Um, oh gosh, what was the? Uh, I actually got to sit and chat with Glenn Hall for probably Mr. five Goalie. or ten minutes as a kid. So it was it was something. That was big thing in Oilers. I to be honest, I'm not even sure when I started cheering for the Oilers. But we always watched Hockey Night in Canada, early games, late games, and probably probably during the '80s, during their their run there, their other Stanley Cups. That's probably when. So can you remember all five of the cups then? No, actually I can't. The only thing I can remember is the goal that no Oilers go, no Oilers fan wants to remember. That's the only <laughs> thing I can remember. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty uh, difficult one in '86. I think just even you describing it, we all know uh, what you're talking about. And uh, and uh, Devin, how about yourself? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, for me, I think like most kids growing up in, in Western Canada, uh, particularly in Alberta or Saskatchewan, I actually grew up in a, a small farming community in Alberta, um, Paradise Valley. And my uncle actually used to play some senior hockey out there. And so that's kind of, that was my first interaction uh, concerning hockey. But uh, as far as the Oilers go, I mean, <clears throat> in that area, everyone cheered for the Edmonton Oilers, right? So I was born in 87. So just being a young kid, um, it was sort of like Oilers hysteria uh, right around that time frame, And so I sort of picked it up just from my, my dad, from my uncle, from everyone in that area. And uh, I, I mean, I don't remember anything, obviously, from 1990 because I would have been three. Um, <laughs> but it was just sort of ingrained in me growing up. Right. You kind of cheered for the Oilers. And so we, we went to a lot of games growing up. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm born in 89, so I was one the last time they won a cup. I mean, at least I was alive for one Oilers Stanley Cup. And <laughs> you you would have even been alive when Gretzky was still with the team. I was born about five months after the Gretzky trade. And um, as we're recording this on Thursday night, but yesterday was the 35th anniversary of the Wayne Gretzky trade. Uh, Bruce, I'll just go back to you for a second. Do you remember that trade? Uh, vaguely, yeah, I was just remember stunned like holy crap they traded him it's like i didn't think he would be a if any player was un that you would never trade he would be one but see the trade it was like holy cow that was yeah you yeah. know whenever i have guests on this podcast who were around in the 80s and were following the team they always talk about that as you know just one of the most devastating days of their lives not even just as an oilers fan but just their lives in general so yeah a, a tough one uh for oilers fans especially to see the great one move on to a, a divisional rival and uh what do you remember about your first oilers game at northlands coliseum devon oh man i i was trying to think about this there's there's actually a couple memories going back and I, I think the first game i went to though was with my dad and my brother and uh, my aunt actually had some connection to the team she knew some of the players somehow um she owns a business in edmonton a clothing store and I think at that time she, anyway, had some connections and, uh, we went and saw this game and, and she brought us two pucks. And so she gave, uh, one to me, it was a Doug Wade, an autographed Doug Wade puck. And the other one was an autographed Ryan Smith puck. Oh, nice. And yeah, it was nice. super cool. And, and at that time we were both still pretty young. And so we weren't following the team super close. They didn't know all the, all the, the players and stuff. Um, and I just remember that time Doug Wade was the captain. And Ryan Smith, I think, was the assistant captain. And my my younger brother kind of doing the younger brother thing said, well, I, I want the captain puck. And, <laughs> and so my dad kind of said, well, why don't you just give him the captain puck? And I said, OK, sure. Right. So trying to be a nice big brother. Well, 
little did I know that Ryan Smith would quickly become one of my favorite players ever. And yeah. Uh, yeah. so I, it actually worked out quite well that I got that Ryan Smith buck. And uh, so Doug Waite was traded in the summer of 2001. I don't know if you remember the year that this was, but is that sort of in the the range or would it have even been in the late 90s yet? It could have been in the late 90s. Like I'm trying to think it might have been maybe 99, might have been 2000, but it was like, I think late 90s is probably when it happened. Okay. And do you remember who it was against? Anything else from the game? I mean, that's pretty cool that you guys got the pucks, first of all. Yeah, no, I, I don't recall who they were playing. Um, I mean, obviously, as Oilers fans, we remember those those rivalries with Dallas, and so that that just kind of sticks out in my mind um, for that time period. The the other kind of cool memory I have is, and it was this was maybe a few months later. We went to another game with my hockey team, and we had an opportunity to go down. Um, you know, they had that area where the guys walked out, and you could kind of see them, and um, they had that lounge down there. It, we had a chance to meet Bill Ranford, so that was another kind of. Nice neat little memory i've got from uh from being a kid and he would have just come back to finish his career there yeah so i i think he played his last season with the oilers in 99 2000 so i'm gonna just narrow it down and guess that that would have been the year that it was yeah if he was back with the team yeah so pretty cool uh and i'm sure uh someone had told you that 10 years earlier he was the con Smythe winner and backstopped the oilers to a cup so uh Pretty sure. cool that pretty cool that he came and uh you know finished up his uh, NHL career in Edmonton. And uh, uh Bruce, do you remember your first game? I don't remember much of the game, but I do remember everything around it. Okay. Because I was working at McDonald's at the time, so this was the early nineties. I was I think I was just out of high school, if I remember correctly. And me and two buddies, we they were been hunting us to take holidays because I hadn't taken any ever. So we decided we we're going to go to we're going to go to Edmonton. So we hop in my car, the three of us, and we take off to Edmonton. We get to Edmonton and flip to our Edmonton radio station. And first thing we hear is tickets released for the Oilers game tonight. So we're all the way in. We just head straight to the Coliseum, drive in, pick up three tickets. We found a hotel within walking distance of the of the Coliseum and. We went to the game, and then after the game, we had probably the worst pizza I've ever eaten in my entire life. <laughs> I almost remember the pizza more than the game. Oh, the pizza was terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. But I don't, I, I want to, like, I'm kind of like Devin, I want to say the game was against Dallas, but it was in, it was right around Easter in April, so I don't know if that, if that fits the Now, Dallas came all. into the league in 93-94, so are you thinking that it would have been that season about? Like they weren't, no, they weren't still no, the Minnesota North Stars. No, it would have been earlier, so it probably wouldn't have been Dallas. It'd have been a different team then. Okay, I can't remember. Actually, if I dug through my stuff, I could probably find the ticket because I think I held onto the ticket stub. Yeah, that was back when you could actually still keep uh, ticket stubs. Uh, I, yeah. You know, every with everything being digital, I'm glad that I have a few of those uh, those Oilers uh, ticket stubs left still. And uh, my first game was in 2006. It was a Battle of Alberta that unfortunately the Oilers lost. Um, but uh, you know, they did go to the final that year uh, a few months later, so that kind of made up for it a bit. Uh, but I did get to see George LaRock win a fight. So that nice. uh, that was a, a good... Uh, First uh, memory at <laughs> at Rogers uh, or at I guess at Rexall Place at the time. Um, so, uh, who were some of your favorite Oilers players as a kid, Bruce? Uh, for me, Ryan Smith was the big one for me. 
Ryan Smith losing the what was it that overtime game where he lost two teeth and then came back out and yes. scored the, the goal and that was in the playoffs, wasn't it? They yeah. actually won that game. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's he, the uh, big big Ryan Smith thing that stands out for me. The guy will he'll go anywhere and do anything on the ice. That was and I I love players like that. Love players like that. Yeah, he just fit the blue collar mold of the city of Edmonton so well, and you, just a guy you know who could who could score, but also wasn't afraid to play a gritty game, and just uh, those are the kind of guys who um, you know become legends in oil country. And uh, uh, Devin, uh, who were your hockey heroes as a kid? Well, yeah, for sure Ryan Smith. I mean, that's like I said earlier that that puck that I got sort of set me on that path. But then just watching him play in Edmonton, the things he did, um, and I mean Eric, you and I are both the same age, so that 2006 cup run for me um really like i was already a big weathers fan but when that happened i just that solidified it for me so watching ryan smith do the things he did um alice hamsky of course growing up was always fun to watch jordan everly i mean maybe not you know as a kid so much but even when he was drafted like that was about 15 years ago right so um, yeah. It was great to see another Saskatchewan guy be a high pick for the Oilers too, even though he was for the Pats. You know, I mean, yeah. it was it was yeah. awesome. To, and he was a World Junior hero the a few months later that Christmas. Yes. So, I mean, the yeah. hype for Eberly was there before he even played a game in Oil Country. Hundred percent, like that. That for me, whenever those top ten World Junior moments come up on TSN, like Jordan Eberly's overtime or his his game tying goal and then to win it was like that. That'll be all time for me. Um, did you definitely. see any of the games, uh, the World Juniors in Saskatoon the following year in 2010? Did you go to any of those? I, I don't know if I did. I don't think I did, actually. <clears throat> okay. I saw them play Switzerland. I think they beat them 6-1, and Everly had a couple goals. It, was, it wasn't it was an overly competitive game, but uh, that was when he was on his way to uh, setting the, the Canadian record for goals at the World Juniors, which obviously was broken by Connor Bedard uh, this past yeah. Christmas. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think... Devin, for for anyone our age and and probably even all ages, uh, Ryan Smith is uh, is someone who it doesn't matter who what area you're from. That was a guy you cheered for. I mean, Wayne Gretzky, I always say is my ultimate hockey hero, but I missed out on his prime. I I can remember the tail end of Gretzky's career, but for a, a player that I watched as a kid, Ryan Smith was my my hockey hero. And um, actually, five years ago when I was working at the TV station in Lloyd Minster as a intern sports reporter. I remember there was a day my, uh, the station manager called me into her office and she told me that there was this uh, junior a charity hockey game that was happening in a small town. And Ryan Smith was going to be there because uh, the team he owned, the St. Albert saints were going to be playing. And she asked if I wanted to go interview him. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was just Why like, not? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. do I, and like, yeah, like I told her, like this is my hero. I mean, of, of course. So, uh, and there was a snowstorm that day too, so it almost didn't happen. But I was like, I will drive to this small town in Alberta through a snowstorm to get to have the chance to not only meet but interview Smitty. And man, just the nicest guy you could ever meet. Before the interview started, I spent like two minutes and said, I just want to get this out of the way. You know, you're my, you're, you're one of my heroes. This is such an honor to beat you. I'm going to be professional after this, but I just had to get my fan moment in first. So we took a couple pictures together and uh, then the, yes. then we did the interview. So that's, that's for sure the best day of my broadcasting career and probably a top 10 day of my life too. No kidding. Fantastic. <laughs> um, 
So, oh, yeah. I mean, and uh, what is your best memory of watching the Oilers either on TV or uh, live in person, Devin? Okay, I've got a bunch here. But like I said, the 2006 Cup run for me, just that whole experience. Um, I was I was 18 um, in Alberta when that Cup run uh, happened. And so, I mean, me and my best friends, well, Tyler Homan, Bruce, who is on our podcast as well. Yeah. Um, we've, we've been buds since kindergarten. And so to go out to all the games or watch all the games on TV and, and even just be in and around Edmonton when that was happening was a lot of fun. Um, Jordan Eberle's first NHL goal was, was crazy. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. Like that, that one will stick in my memory. I've actually got an autographed image of that, um, hanging in my, my office here. Nice. Uh, Sam Gagne's eight point night against Chicago. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a tough one to forget. Uh, the Battle of Alberta just a couple of years ago here with Mike Smith and Cam Talbot uh, dropping the gloves. That was fantastic. <laughs> uh, McDavid, 100 points in 53 games. That one felt like a big deal. Uh, Dreisaitl's playoff run in 2022 with his high ankle sprain. And then McDavid's 60 goals. Like Those are kind of some of the bigger moments to stick up. And I mean, uh, any Oilers fan just who is roughly our age or can you know go back 10 10- plus years or so like instantly all of these just come to mind like i can picture them the, the moment you say them so it's just uh i think a lot of people even remember where they were i i remember watching that jordan everly goal uh at the at the airport chilies in, in calgary <laughs> <laughs> i was flying nice. home to saskatoon from university i was i was going to university in calgary so like i'm, I'm flying back to saskatoon and I'm the I was the only person at that Chili's bar that cheered when Jordan Everly scored. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I, like I, I know it was, I, and, I, and I'm thinking like I know that you know you guys are probably all Flames fans here watching this, but like come on, that's a pretty cool first goal, and you know. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, that was a a memory that I'll I'll never forget. And uh, yeah. uh, Bruce. Sorry, Sorry. Well, I, was, I was just going to say the other one, too, that I didn't mention here, uh, that Yakupov goal. And I think you probably know what I'm thinking about, but I think it was in was it 2012, right after uh, the well, Kings. January the 2013. Cup. Yeah. So yes. it, would, it was the, the league was locked out that fall. So yes. the NHL returned to action in January. And I think it was only his second home game. Because do you remember they I think they got blown out by the Sharks uh, in the the first home game he ever played for Justin Schultz and Yakupov. And then that, that next game against the Kings, he scores with 4.7 seconds left. I I believe it was to send the game to overtime, which they ultimately won. So yeah, that was a a pretty, he got that his best moment in the NHL out of the way early. (laughs) Well, he he did for sure. But what made it so interesting was just all the the drama surrounding. Like there was fans throwing garbage on the ice. There was some, yeah well they had scored with 10 seconds left yeah i mean can you believe that 10 seconds left in the game they tie it the goals disallowed and then they score again with four seconds left just that that's an electric moment for that building kidding so that one sticks out for sure and uh bruce what what would yours be so i kind of have two one one is very recent because I just this past winter had a chance to experience Rogers place for the first time. And holy cow, that was incredible. (laughs) We were way up in the way up in the cheap seats. Well, if you can call it your cheap seats in Edmonton, but uh, there like we were up there and you just it's a fantastic view of the arena. Just just to experience. Unfortunately, the Oilers lost to Vegas that night, but just an incredible experience in that uh, in that arena. It was just amazing. The crowd, the whole thing, the 
the band that plays on the one and that was it was all just amazing absolutely amazing yeah i mean playoff tickets are are definitely not cheap but i would recommend anyone go experience a playoff game for the oilers it's uh it's got to be one of the best atmospheres around the league i mean the the city loves hockey they love the team and just come playoff time it it seems to ramp up to another notch not that the regular season it's a quiet building but uh you know it, it just goes to another level come playoff time oh absolutely absolutely the the other one for me is uh, uh two words patrick stefan <laughs> i recall that one in 2007 <laughs> as well yeah, that would always sticks out for me it, it would have been even sweeter if they did cap that one off with a, a win in overtime but the fact yeah. that they they pushed it there i mean <laughs> that one is going to be replayed on the the biggest misses of nhl history till the end of time i mean a breakaway with no goalie and he doesn't bury it it's just it's something you'll probably never see again i don't think he played after that either like i don't think after that season i don't think he he played yeah i think he was done after that yeah but he uh, was a first overall pick too it was in 99 yeah yeah so (laughs) Just like Yakupov, that one didn't uh, work out as well either. And Devin, I I don't think I asked, for any of those moments that you mentioned, uh, did you have a chance to see any of them in person? Uh, I'm trying to think. No, unfortunately, like none of these big moments I had a chance to to see in person. Is Um, there one that sticks out in your life that you did actually get to see in person? Or just, even if it's not like a a monumentous occasion, just one thing that you remember from a a game that, that really stands out to you? You know, I actually went to a game, this is, this is going back a few years now, but uh, it was in, I think it was at the new arena with a couple buddies, well, Tyler and, and my buddy Taylor, um, and they're playing Dallas. And I think, I think the game went to a shootout and they ended up winning that game in a shootout. And so that was like exciting. I think that was my first game at the new rink. Um, so that's in terms of like games I've seen live, there was like maybe something that was memorable. That's probably the closest unfortunately i still haven't had a chance to get to a playoff game so it's on my radar i mean i'd even like to get to the the heritage classic this this fall if that's possible still but i i don't know yeah i bought tickets back in june when they came on i i saw them go on sale and i thought i'd better grab one of these before they're gone i'm going alone because i i asked a few people if they wanted to go with it and some people weren't as uh thrilled about spending 200 plus dollars to sit on the the upper deck uh in in late october but i said you know it's a a once in a generation type thing almost for edmonton they had it exactly 20 years ago so i i watched that one on tv as a a kid and i i wanted to be there for this one yeah yeah that makes sense for sure it does i did go to the one in winnipeg in 2016 too and they put on a great event so uh i'm sure that edmonton will do the same thing and i've been waiting to hear about uh, the alumni game I, there has been no announcement that it's happening yet and it's something that i really hope they do because in in 2003 and 2016 it was great to see all the legends back on the ice and even though i suspect that if there is one there's going to be a lot more players from the late 90s and the 06 cup run era i would like to see the the 80s legends get back on the ice one last time together because they're all basically in their early 60s now and uh, this would probably be the last one if they do yeah they're they're all getting up there for sure (laughs) yeah yeah and you know gretzky (laughs) he's basically sworn off uh 
quote unquote old timers games uh, since he retired, but he's played in a, he's played in a handful of them, two for the Oilers and one for the Blues. So uh, I just think it'd be great if he could have, you know, one last moment uh, in Edmonton in front of the fans wearing the the Oilers silk. So we'll see what happens here in the in the coming weeks. That, that seems like a, a fitting send off for him if he's going to finish. It would. Well, I mean, he could have done it in 2016 and the one in Winnipeg, but then two months later he played for the Blues alumni. And I just thought, you know, uh, it's a team that he spent the least amount of time with half a season. It it, it just feels like it should be in Edmonton. Yeah, I agree. All right. And uh, like I said, awesome to find out more about you guys. And just the the last one we're going to just touch on here is, you know, how often now do you make it out to Rogers place to see the Oilers play? Uh, Bruce, back to you. Oh God. So oh, last winter here was the last time before that. Uh, uh, it was uh, Timu Hardikainen's last season with the Oilers. The last time I was there. <laughs> so it's about 10 Timu years. Hardikainen, there's a poll. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe about 2011, I think. Maybe 2012. Yeah. Uh, something. Uh, I think so. Yeah, it was, uh, it was his last season. I uh, my wife had got me tickets for that game, so my cousin and I we drove into drove into Edmonton and for the game, and yeah, it was they had a that was a terrible season for them. So they were they had a lot of AHL players up, and I at that time I had really liked Hardikainen as a player. I thought he would do really really well, and then in the off season he bolted for home. Yeah, there was a, the there's a lot of terrible much. teams in the 2010s. So yeah. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I've let go of anything that happened before Connor McDavid because every poor decision made led to getting him. So yeah, that's, exactly. it's, all the, it's all in the past now. I, I, I don't lose any sleep like over the Yakupov draft or any of the <laughs> mismanagements or signings or trades they made. It's, it, it's the ones after that hurt more. But uh, anything yeah. before 2015, I, I feel like it's it, that's done with now. Uh, and Devin, how, uh, how many Oilers games do you uh, typically make it out to a year? Oh man, not enough. Uh, it, I think it's been a season or two now since I've gone to my last game here. Okay. Uh, but but I, I do try to get out to one a year. Like that's kind of my, my goal if I can. Uh, we do a boys trip. I think Bruce, you and I have been talking about doing a, a podcast trip and just getting you and I and John yep. and Tyler together for a game. And it just, it hasn't yes. worked out yet, but that's, it's, it's on the to-do list. So uh, definitely, that, you know, I, I want to go to at least one more uh, next season here. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you have to factor in the things for, for us, like, you know, a, being a five hour drive away and having to, you know, get a hotel room and, and buy all your meals while you're there, it, it adds up a little more. So yeah. honestly, I, I go to about three or four a year. I, I would love to go to one a month if I didn't have all the extra expenses, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, while McDavid's in his prime, I always say, I try to see as many as I can live in person. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you know what? Tyler has season tickets too, Bruce. So we gotta we gotta tap oh, nice. him on the shoulder a bit more this next year. <laughs> Definitely. And, and yeah, to yeah. watching watching McDavid play live and watching on TV, there's nothing like watching him play live. Yeah, it, he, he's one of the few guys that's worth the price of admission that you can really say that about. Yeah. Like guys like him, I had a chance to different sport though. Uh had a chance to watch LeBron James play in person. TV does not do him justice at all for how well he plays. Yeah, I think that probably goes for any of the generational talents across all the big sports, right? If if you have a chance to see a once in a lifetime player, it's it's something that you're not going to forget. And that's one of the cool things about, you know, having McDavid here in in Edmonton. He's undoubtedly the best player in the world. And 
we have them right here in Western Canada, even though yeah. we're not in Edmonton. We're, a, like I said, a five-hour drive away from seeing him. I mean, that's something that just isn't as accessible to most of North America. Great. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. I uh, Speaking of seeing generational talents play, um, this is a little off script here, but when I was out in Ontario for a, a conference, Bruce, you remember this back in 2017, uh, we went to Niagara Falls. And so it's kind of a hop, skip, and a jump from Buffalo. And uh, Tom Brady was playing the Buffalo Bills uh, right after I was at this, this convention, this conference. So uh, I took I took a couple extra days off work and <clears throat> went to this game in, I don't, I don't know, it was like in November or something. Um, went and saw Tom Brady play against the Bills. And, and that was just incredible. Yeah, very cool. And, and I'm almost sure they won because I don't think Tom Brady ever lost to the Bills when he played <laughs> for the past. No. Yeah, they they won. It was like a it was a really really low scoring game. I remember I actually had Tom um, as my quarterback in fantasy that week, oh, and no. he he really let me down because he didn't do anything <laughs> for fantasy purposes, and it was a very very low scoring affair. But well, I I shouldn't be surprised that you're also in a fantasy football league. Well, you know what I have I've actually shelled that. So um, I just I really got into fantasy hockey, obviously, and and so I've had to kind of put some things on the back burner and. Uh, I, I find fantasy football for me is just really tough. Like it's, it's well, Bruce, you can probably talk to you more than I can, but I find it difficult. I find it. Oh, I find fantasy football actually easy. It's easier than hockey for me. A lot easier than hockey. Well, Devin, I'm glad you brought that up because that allows us to transition perfectly into talking about uh, fantasy hockey hacks now. So you guys have obviously been a huge addition to the Heavy Hockey Network. And when Michael told me that your crew was joining us, I thought it would be great because we didn't really have any fantasy hockey content on the site. And it, uh, it would be just awesome to get some new eyes on us. And, and you guys have been doing such a good job. I've interacted with you uh, even before you guys were were with yeah. us on Twitter. So, and when I found out that you guys were also Oilers fans and from Saskatoon, that the connection was there. So, um, I just want to find out a little about how it all got started. Too, uh, when did fantasy hockey get going, and, and uh, how long have you two, as well as John and Tyler, known each other? Uh, well, well, like I said, Tyler and I have known each other since kindergarten. So, um, we've been lifelong friends, and that goes back a long ways. Um, Bruce and I, we actually worked together for. How many years, Bruce? Seven years? That was about seven, I think. Yeah, sounds right. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I, I started at Moody's Equipment back in 2015, and Bruce had already been there for like 10 years, I think. I, how long were you there, Bruce, before I started? Uh, probably, well, 15, so probably eight years. Yeah. So, well, so Bruce was there and then actually John was, uh, in the parts department at Moody's equipment. And, uh, but so that was 2015. I started, John had been there for a while already. So I've kind of known John and Bruce since 2015 and Tyler since, uh, what would that be? 1992 or 1993. So quite a while. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as far as, uh, you know, you guys are obviously big hockey Getting oh, but sorry, and you said the fantasy hockey hacks. When did it actually get started? Right. Oh yeah. So <clears throat> I came to Bruce in uh, I think it was late 2020. Um, Sounds right. And I and I said, you know what, Bruce, I'm I'm really kind of playing with the idea of, of starting a, a hockey podcast, like a fantasy hockey podcast. I said I, I'm I'm kind of tired of listening to some of these other ones, and they they get so much into sports betting and gambling, and I just really want to know like 
in a season long fantasy league, who, who should I be keeping tabs on? Right. And I felt like we could do a better job than some of the other guys that were out there. And, um, so in April of 2021, we actually recorded our first episode and, and I don't remember the exact time frame there, Bruce, but my daughter was born April 24th, uh, 2021. And I think we, we recorded our first episode like the next day or maybe two days after. Um, it wasn't very long after that. No, no, it was, it was like, I think we brought her home from the hospital and then we recorded our first episode that night. And Bruce was like, I think so. do you want to put this <laughs> off a day or two? And I was like, no, I'm ready to go. <laughs> exactly. Like the notes are fresh. They're current. <laughs> like we're doing this. And, uh, we actually went 110 straight episodes, 110 straight weeks without a break. Wow. Um, yeah. so it was quite a ride. Yeah. And some of this would have been sort of during the pandemic. So, I mean, that probably helped a little bit, too, that there was extra time to get some content up. But also there was, you know, the shorter seasons there, too, uh, at the start, right? Yeah, I mean, some of it was uh, it was kind of weird timing to start in April, right? Just with the way it it, uh, it all worked out. But And the season went until mid-May before the playoffs even started that year. Yeah, so we kind of we got started. I don't even know what we talked about, Bruce. I think, but we we did. I don't remember either. I have to go back yeah. and look. <laughs> and for the first two years, I think we did lots of off-season content too. So we were doing like we covered the playoffs and we talked about you know daily fantasy sports and stuff like that. But we just found that people generally weren't as engaged in the off-season or in during the playoffs. Like once fantasy hockey is done, they kind of just tune you out, right? So, um. We took a, this actually this this last spring was the first time we took a break uh, for a couple months. And I think that that did us some good. Hey, Bruce, just to kind of get away from it for a little bit and then. Yep. Chance to recharge. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I exactly. guess that would be kind of challenging. It's one thing I didn't think about is that, you know, for if you're just doing a, a normal NHL podcast, there's off season news like there, there will obviously be some quiet times in the dog days of summer but you're going to have news around the draft for agency and and uh there's always going to be some moves like with the oilers bringing in jeff jackson but other than that for fantasy hockey it, it probably really starts to pick up in september i'd assume it, it does for sure but you know what we've actually seen a lot more engagement this year i'm not sure why like we've got some great guests lined up for the remainder of the summer we've already had a, a few great guests on but um for us we we did a few things um, a little different this summer that have gained some traction, some some breakout candidates, some potential busts, which we'll talk about later, and um, <laughs> just things that people have, have been really interested in. And and now we're getting into our fantasy previews for each division. And uh, so now we're bringing on a special guest every week to help us run through those. And that'll lead us right up until the start of the regular season. So that's kind of what we do is try and like summer for us is just getting people prepared for the regular season for season long redraft leagues and um and just getting geared up for the season really well that's great to hear and i have to check out a few more of those coming up as we get closer to the season and as fantasy hockey enthusiasts do you guys prefer keeper leagues or do you think it's better to start fresh each season Devin, go ahead um you know what for me like we bruce you and i talked about this a little bit and yeah i actually i I don't prefer keeper leagues. So for me, like I really enjoy the draft and that whole process, uh, especially in season long redraft leagues. And that's kind of my bread and butter and, and probably always will be. Um, I've had my eyes opened up to the world of dynasty fantasy hockey. And, and so uh, Victor, you know, uh, from fantasy hockey life and, and the Dauber prospects reports, he, he came on our show and, and he's fantastic. He, we, him and I've been, you know, kind of chatting back and forth and, 
and he invited me into one of his dynasty leagues starting this year. And, you know, my, my concern with that is always the time that you put into it, but I think it's great because there's a whole other side of it where you're, you're learning more about the prospects and this new generation of talent that's coming up, right. And how valuable they are. And so I think it just makes me a, a more well-rounded uh, fantasy hockey manager and fantasy hockey podcast host to know, you know, who's coming up and uh, what's going on in that regard. So I'm excited. I think dynasty is fun because then you still do your prospect draft and then you still do your, your regular NHL draft each season. So um, for me, I find that interesting. Keeper leagues less so because it's just, you're, you're not doing the dynasty thing. You're not doing season long so much. You're keeping a couple players. I, I don't like the keeper as much, but the dynasty is, is appealing for sure. And Bruce, which do you prefer? Uh, I really don't have a, I really don't have a preference. I've done keeper leagues. I've done the full redraft. It's it's nice to do a little bit of variety here. And I don't really have a preference like, uh, like Devin, the dynasty thing really intrigues me. I just don't have the time. I would love to do one, but I just, I, I, I don't have the time to dedicate to be able to do it, to effectively run a team. And have you guys ever run multiple teams at the same time? Oh yeah, oh yeah. What's yeah. the most? What's the most teams you've ever managed in one season? Um, well, if you if you took hockey, football, and I did fantasy basketball at one time, I had six teams going once. Wow. Um, so you're just constantly checking the apps all day. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think three or four is the most I've ever done. And and, and that's mostly that like just I for keep hockey? that. That's just hockey. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had a couple like we, we've done our FHHL league, uh, which we've got a couple listeners. And, and we had actually Mike McLaughlin from Left Wing Lock was playing with us. Um, and then like kind of my home league that I, I want to call it that is, is with Tyler. And I've been in that one since 2014. Um, so, I've, yeah, it's, it's just doing a few. So like this year, I'll probably have three or four again. That's kind of I, I can't do any more than that. Like I know some guy. What did Victor tell us, Bruce? He was in like 19 leagues last year. Something like it was a ridiculous number. I was like, holy cow, I can barely keep track of the three that I do now. Yeah. <laughs> Plus my football one. Like it's yeah, yeah. Oh well. I mean, yeah, it's, I guess uh for some of the more experienced uh fantasy hockey managers or or for any of the fantasy uh sports leagues that uh you can probably handle that. But <laughs> I'm guessing some of the the people who are just starting out would probably uh want to just start with one because you know I, I've I've only done a uh, fantasy league once with I think ESPN and just like remembering to set your lineup every day like that was the biggest challenge yeah. early on and I'm sure that uh, I've, I'm not the only one that's uh, been caught leaving uh, one of their top players on the bench <laughs> on a on a game when they ended up having like three <laughs> points or something. Tyler in the playoffs last year. Ooh. Oh yeah. Yeah. We he he basically he was a lock to well at least make the final. And then he oh, went on easily. holidays for two weeks and then just <laughs> fell off Bad the rails. timing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'll leave this one open to either one of you. But uh, for any of our listeners uh, who haven't played fantasy hockey before, can you kind of explain how the scoring system is different from traditional hockey pools where you only get one point for each goal and assist? Bruce, do you want to take that or do you want me to? Uh, I can take it. it. It depends on the league that you're in. So. There are some leagues that that do it exactly that way. You can point for a goal, point for assist. Everything is one for one. Um, there's lots of leagues out like that. Um, for example, like the ESPN league that uh, I joined with Devin and Tyler. 
it's three points for a goal, two points for an assist. I think it's two points for a shorthanded goal, hat trick. You get half a point for a shot, half a point for a hit and a block. So there's a number of different ways it can be scored. It just depends on what what you're looking for and what what you want what you want to do. And do you echo that, Devin, or is there anything you would add? No, I mean, I think it's just, it's about categories, right? And so whether you're in a yeah. points league, like in a lot of these traditional hockey pools, <clears throat> like officepools.com or something, like you said, it's very straightforward. It's it's just basically real world scoring. Whereas fantasy, right, you can set up your categories however you want. And, and there's different formats, right? Whether it's uh, head-to-head, um, whether it's categories leagues, rotisserie, um, like there's lots of different ways to, to do that, whether it's points leagues only. Uh, do you, do you include blocks, shots, and hits? Um, so there's, there's a million ways you can go at it. I, I like leagues with more categories and I think any rankings we've done and can, will continue to do, uh, will be based on more categories. And so I, I think hits, blocks, um, shots, penalty minutes, even plus minus all that stuff. I like to include in my league setups. Cause I just, I think shifts. it makes more interesting. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Sorry, but you know I, had, I had to plug that one in there. Yeah, well, but you know, we, we talk about the like shifts is a stupid one to have in there, but um, everything we look at, like time on ice, uh, you know, per 60, um, shots on goal per 60, like deployment matters, right? So when you're looking at, yep. at fantasy hockey assets, it really does matter how much time you play. For sure. And uh, what's your best piece of advice for new fantasy hockey managers when it comes to finding value in the later rounds of a draft? Uh, Bruce, I'll go to you first. Oh, for people just starting out. Oh, for when I first started, it was just picking players I recognized. That was that was how I started doing it. But now I would say for anyone starting out, if they can listen to, listen to our podcast, we'll give you some advice on how to do that. Um, draft kits from Dauber Left Wing Lock. Get a hold of one of those and go through there because. Mike and the Dauber guys do a fantastic job of weeding out who to look for in the later rounds, value and things like that, where Devin and I could probably rattle off three or four each that, that we would be looking at. For a new person, that would be a, a great way to a great way to start. And, and Devin, when uh, most of the big names are gone uh, towards the, the end of the draft, uh, what's your uh, best piece of advice for uh, finding uh, some good value there? Yeah, it, well, for me, it's if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail, right? So re- research is key. Like Bruce said, make sure you get a hold of some of those draft kits or, or subscribe to our podcast or any other fantasy hockey podcast to be prepared. Um, I think it's important to be adaptable and to read the room. So know who you're drafting with, because really, it's not so much a, just about how valuable the player is, but it's about finding value in the draft relative to their average draft position. So if you can take a player later, then you absolutely have to, then then do that. That's where you find value, right? And um, I would probably recommend baiting goaltenders a little bit. So we've talked about this too, Bruce, is just yep. don't don't take a big swing on goaltenders early. Like try and fill out your roster with forwards and defense. And, and I've kind of gotten it down to where probably the first 10 rounds I'm taking forwards and defensemen and I'll fade yep. goaltenders and try and find value later in the draft. And so, because every year, there's always, without a doubt, at least one or two or three goaltenders who go undrafted um, and who who have tremendous value. So a couple guys that come to mind are um, Linus Allmark, obviously. Like Bruce, I think he was undrafted or was drafted in the very late rounds uh, of a few drafts we were in last year. 
Yeah, the um, one he made it. He that was a waiver wire pickup for somebody. Like the first first couple of days after the draft. Yeah, and and Philip Gustafson was the other one I was thinking of because and he was yeah. a de- he was definitely waiver wire fodder. But I mean, he had a yeah. nine thirty one save percentage last year. He was fantastic. Yeah. And that was that was going to be my next question for you guys, too. I was going to say, like, going into a fantasy draft, do you have a strategy for which positions you want to fill first? Or is it just always the best player available? Go ahead, Bruce. I can say for me, it's once I see where I where I draft at, like what position I'm drafting in, I kind of build. I have a loose strategy already built out. But once I know where exactly where I'm drafting, I can start looking in at the players and, and targeting the players I want. Now that I so have used, sorry. sorry, I was just going to cut in for a second. I apologize. But for uh, if, if a goalie like Vasilevsky or Shesterkin is still there in the third round, do you swoop them up or is that just too early to take a goaltender? Uh, well, I should say I have taken Shesterkin in the third round once. So I probably, I would consider it. Lately, I've been kind of Devin. I've been kind of more embracing the the zero G or the like, not drafting a goalie till after the tenth round. But I would say if you still it depends on what your strategy. So when I took Shesterkin in the third round, I had got Panarin in the first round and Adam Fox in the second, and then I took him in the third just because I wanted the stack Rangers. That was the go. only reason. Only reason why I took him. And Bruce, your strategy is, or uh, sorry, uh, Devin, your strategy is uh, typically the same uh, in each draft. Uh, I mean, again, it depends on who you're drafting with, right? So, like in in one league, I know that half the fantasy managers in there are or more are Oilers fans, right? Yeah. And so those guys always reach on Oilers players. So I know that I'm probably not getting any Oilers players because I will, I'm not going to take them where they should go based on their ADP. And which actually works out in my favor because I generally get to draft players that I shouldn't be able to in rounds three, four, five, and six. <laughs> Definitely. Um, like I think two years ago I got David Pasternak in like the fifth or sixth. Wow. Round, right. Yeah. So he just fell because these guys are so fixated on Oilers players, and that that works to my advantage. Um, yeah. and then yeah, in terms of like the goaltenders and stuff, like or which positions to fill first, I think it's harder to find good value on defensemen specifically outside of the 10th round. Like if I can fill up, can you let's give an see, example. But, um, well, so let's say you want to fill up your, your D like so you, have, so you have four D spots, right? It's going to be a lot harder for me to get an, uh, a first power play unit quarterback type offensive defenseman in the, in the 12th round, right? Like you're just not going to find that same value. Whereas I could find, a goaltender who may be a workhorse goaltender in later rounds. So again, Linus Allmark went late last year. Um, a guy like, uh, um, boy, who just signed in, uh, Ottawa to Ludemy right now. Oh, Corpusello. Corpusello. So I think a guy like Corpusello is a great option for next year. He's not going to go really early. I think Ottawa is going to be better than, than they were last year. Um, so that's, that's just a way to get some value later and then then i can take a defenseman who i know was going to go before the 10th or 12th round what about a guy like tyson berry i mean he was obviously a part of the oilers all-time great power play last season but now he goes to the nashville predators where they're not going to have as strong of a power play is that still a guy that you know you think would make it to one of the later rounds where you could pick him up or would he still be taken early I, I, so it's really funny you ask that because, Bruce, I was just working on our projections for the Nashville Predators uh, this morning. And 
I I'm actually quite down on Barry for next year. Um, I'm just going to pull up his numbers. I, I think he's probably only going to see about 17 and a half minutes time on ice. That's, that's how I've got him projected right now, because you've got Roman Yossi. He's going to, he's going to man the first yeah. power play unit. Right. right? So like all day long, he's going to have power play one. Um, Barry's going to get power play two, but it's only going to be probably about a minute and a half time on ice per game on the power play. It sort play. of goes back to when Barry was in Toronto and he was kind of miscast there. It wasn't until he came to Edmonton that he was able to thrive again like he yeah. did in Colorado because he was put in the right position. And when you have a specific power play quarterback like Barry is and you're not utilizing his talent, I can see how it would probably affect his not only his his stats in the league, but his fantasy value too. No, absolutely. So I've, I've only got him projected here for nine goals and 39 points next year based on his deployment and because i don't think he's going to see a ton of uh time on ice five on five right so great point going back to how he was sort of deployed in toronto um like he's generally been a third pairing power play specialist well now he's going to be a third pairing depth d because he's not getting power play one time either so for me like he can still return some value in deep formats and and if roman yossi ever goes down like he's the first guy i'm grabbing but of course you know, he's he's going to be he may get some top four minutes, um, depending on what happens with Dante Fabro. But I just think that more likely because he's not a great defensive defenseman, he's going to get buried in the depth chart there. Yeah, I, I think some team will probably pick him up at the trade deadline next year, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. But yeah, when you're playing behind Roman Yossi, who was pushing for 100 points a couple of years ago, it's pretty hard to, to get power play time. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, guys, I appreciate you breaking down. A, uh, some some fantasy advice and and how it works and also giving the backstory on uh, fantasy hockey hacks. I'd like to move over to now some Oilers fantasy talk. And Connor McDavid is coming off the greatest offensive season by a player since 1995-96, where he tallied an incredible 64 goals and 153 points in 82 games last season. McDavid has been the best point producer in the league for years, but he's now also evolved into an elite goal scorer. Uh, do you think that his ceiling for fantasy hockey still lies ahead? Uh, Bruce, you can kick us off. The uh, projections we did say no, but uh, I, I say yes. I think I think he can still do more than what I think he can still do more than 153 points. Uh, but also like for for fantasy, when you're saying that goals are weighed more than assists as well, um, yeah. like could he? Even if he doesn't reach 150 again, could he still be in the same range uh, if his if his goal total doesn't drop too significantly? Well, one neat thing about McDavid is when you look at like Devin's got all the stats, like the shots per 60, points per 60, and that. But too, you look at what he's been doing too. Now he's throwing more more hits than he ever did before. And yeah, I really noticed that last season that he was more physical in category leagues and stuff. That's it. Doesn't look like much when you're adding. Like a hit here and a hit there, but in category leagues, that's huge. That that'll be huge, and that's yeah. So his point totals for that, but yeah, his hits and stuff like that is where you'll see where you're going to get some extra value in there. And Devin, do you have a prediction for McDavid this season? And do you think he has reached his peak in fantasy hockey? You know what? I nothing McDavid does surprises me anymore. Honestly, like I. <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what we had projected him for here, Bruce. Um, I think it might have been 55 goals. And if you give me a second here, I'll pull it up. About 143, I think. 140. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. And and part of that was just based on the fact that they had a, a historic power play last year, right? They ran at 32.4%. Uh, 
I don't anticipate they're going to run at 32.4% again this season. They had a lot of players on that roster, both on the power play and at even strength, that far exceeded anything they've ever done in their careers. Nugent Hopkins being one of them, Zach Hyman being another. Um, Leon Dreisaitl is just going to be Leon Dreisaitl. But I just think that the expectations are sky high. And I think the cast around him is going to take a little bit of a dip. And I think that he may take a little bit of a dip, but I don't think he cares. I think Tyler made a great point on our podcast last week that he's kind of done it, right? Like he scored 60 to prove he could score 60. He doesn't really care. Um, they may try and, and get dry settled to 60 goals this year because that's like the new fun thing to do. And, and they just want to win games, right? So <laughs> now saying all of that, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out. Um, McDavid actually does, if we look at left-wing locks regression meter, there's a, there's five metrics there that we look at, right? So secondary assist per 60, team's even strength shooting percentage with him on the ice, his individual shooting percentage, his individual points percentage, and his power play shooting percentage. Just two of those, so his individual shooting percentage at 18.2% last year, and his power play shooting percentage, which I think was at 19.6, um, are, are inflated relative to his career average. The other three metrics there's actually room for improvement. So guess what I'm saying is there could be more luck and there could be more points in McDavid's future next season, uh, despite having a little bit higher shooting percentage and a little higher power play shooting percentage. And you mentioned secondary assists too. And last year he was racking up a ton of primary assists. So I mean, if he gets a few more extra touches before say it goes to dry sidling into Hyman for a a tap in in front of the net, you know, he's going to pick up those secondary assists as well. Yeah. And I think the other thing, to remember here is that Evander Kane should knock on wood be healthy this season. And I think that's going to make a big difference too, because we saw how those two played together uh, when Kane was healthy, right. In his first January through till the end of the playoffs, they had real chemistry together and they look great. And so I think that's going to mean a few more assists secondary or otherwise for McDavid uh, next season. Yeah. I've always liked McDavid and Kane together going back to the 2021, 22 season. I will ask you though, um, saying that you think the power play is going to drop off a bit when you look at the fact that for the last four straight years, I think it's been 27% or above. And I, I believe they're the only team in NHL history that's ever done that. Uh, do you still it, it envision a major drop off or do you think it might only be down to like 30%, which should still lead the league? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's exactly. I'm, I'm not foreseeing anything significant here. I'm just saying, you know, are they going to, are they going to best the league's best power play ever? I, I have a hard time believing that, but I mean, I can still see them somewhere in that 27 to 30 percent. Now, would it absolutely shock you if they were at that point or even better? Because, you know, you've seen now, of course, you know, Oilers fans, we're going to be a little biased. But, you know, I, there have been some people who thought it could even hit 35 percent next year. And I'll be honest, uh, I was in that. Uh, group at, at one time who thought you know it, it's possible especially while McDavid and Drysdale in their prime and if they're able to stay at this level again next year and have you know Evan Bouchard now a full-time member on the the power play for a full year it, it would not shock me if they were able to even increase where they were at last year it it would not shock me for sure and I and I want to believe that's going to happen I just wouldn't bet on it I guess they put it that way um yeah, and because, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, like betting on the Oilers breaking the NHL record for power play efficiency two years in a row. I mean, that's a that's a big ask. But honestly, yeah. it's like it's like you said off the top where uh, nothing McDavid does surprises you anymore. Like if, if he was able to get this team's uh, man advantage even stronger, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, the other thing to remember here, too, is that 
31 other teams in the NHL this offseason have been studying that power play and how are they going to defend it, right? And I know it's really, really hard to defend Connor and Leon and Nuge and Bouchard and Hyman, but like when you have time and, and good coaching, they may be able, that's where I'm thinking, maybe they don't convert quite as many chances or maybe they see, get a little less luck. I see what you're saying there too. The only thing that I'll, I'll go on the other point is that having Bouchard on on defense now and, and having the option where he can not only beat goaltenders with a slap shot from the point, but he can score with a wrist shot from the top of the circle. I think that's going to create more room for McDavid and Dreisaitl down low. And having that extra option should be able to help them create even more offensively uh, when they get those man advantage opportunities, I think. I think that's a great point. Uh, what was that play? I th- didn't Connor tell Bush to look him off? And then he, he scored that one goal. I'm trying to think who he, Against he was the in the Kings. playoffs. Yes. And that was just brilliant, right? And I think you'll yeah. see a lot of stuff like that this year. Like, Boosh is just so good on the power play. I mean, it's what he was drafted to to do five years ago, right? And it, it's taken a while to grow into that spot. We we talked about Tyson Berry already. He was holding down the, the PP1 spot for a couple of years. And, you know, that was an, another thing that happened with the trade. Not only did it bring in Ekholm, but it opened the door finally for Bouchard to get that role that he's been sort of groomed for since the time they drafted him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They've, and it, it's part of it is, is just trying to keep that asset cost controlled too, right? They wanted to keep his points down. So his, his yeah. contract wasn't quite a, such a headache, but. And I think you said uh, 143 points from David. Was that your prediction last year? Cause I had him getting 140. Although I always believed there would be 150 point season in his career. Eventually I didn't know if it'd be next year or last year or not. Uh, it ended up being one, and I think he can do it again this year. But uh, do you, have you guys put that out yet, or am I doing a spoiler here by asking you to say what your predictions are for McDavid this coming season? No, that's that's not a spoiler. Um, that was actually in our Pacific Division Fantasy Preview Part 2. We had Caleb Kearney from the Hockey News on. So it's on our website, fantasyhockeyhacks.com, if you want to see that article. It's got all the projections for the Flames, Oilers, Kraken, and Canucks. Um, getting specific to the others, we have McDavid here at 53 goals and 140 points. Again, that's probably a little conservative. I, I, I can see him hitting 60 and 150 or 160. Like that's not going to shock me. Um, we've got dry at 51 goals and 123 points. Yeah. And I mean, 143 points should still be enough to win the Art Ross trophy by 20 plus points. For sure. I mean, if dry, if dry sidle, is 123 it's it's a little under 20 but yeah i mean he i don't know i I think that for the next five years mcdavid's a safe bet to get at least 120 points and it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of those years are 130 or more but uh you know right in this window i mean last year he was so close to being a two point per game player it just it, it feels like I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he was able to put up 150 again. And the only players in NHL history with multiple 150-point seasons are Gretzky and Lemieux. So, I mean, we're talking about hockey royalty here. Definitely. Yeah, uh, it makes, it's incredible. Yeah, and considering how much better he is than the rest of the league right now, do you think that there should be a Gretzky rule for McDavid moving forward where you can only take his goals or assists, as the, as we used to see with Gretzky back in uh, hockey pools in the 80s and 90s? Uh, Devin, what's your take on that? I'm going to say no, absolutely not. Um, I, I just think, especially in season-long redrafts, if you win your draft lottery and you have the opportunity to select him first overall, 
that's your season to do it. And and quite often, actually, the first overall drafting position is not an advantageous one, especially if it's a snake draft, right? You're going first and then 11th. And then, yeah. So I, I think you kind of pay for that in terms of where you're drafting. Um, for me personally, I wouldn't care, but I, I, I wouldn't handcuff them that way. I don't think that's the way to do it. And uh, Bruce, what do you think? Is McDavid's dominance over the rest of the league eventually going to force this type of rule into effect? Oh, I hope not. I, I'm like Devin. I don't. I don't want to see that split up. And I mean, I can see when it was Gretzky because he was putting up 200 points a season. And if you're just yeah. in a straight fantasy pool draft where goals and assists are the only thing that matters, I, I mean, you get Gretzky at the first overall pick. You basically won the draft because you're locking in two 100 point players essentially. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, it makes sense why back in the day they they did have to have those rules to to split up his goals and assists. And you know, obviously, I think his assists would be the one you would take first because he was having a hundred assists a year too. Um, and uh, while McDavid will be the first overall pick in almost every fantasy league this fall, is Leon Drysital the clear cut second overall pick in your opinion, or where would you rank Drysital among the top fantasy performers right now? Uh, Devin, go ahead. Yeah, for me, it's Leon Dreisaitl. And I, I know that's going to sound biased being that I'm a big Oilers guy, but I just, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But if you look over the past three seasons, maybe in the past four, he's been the number two offensive producer in the league. Like, and it's not really even close. Um, I really like Leon Dreisaitl. Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of his and just what he does on the ice. Uh, he's got a lot of grit. He's kind of nasty. He can score goals in his sleep. He's playing with Connor on the power play. Like, there's just so much to like. Um, now some people like Nathan McKinnon more in that second spot. And, and I can see why, when you look at shot volume, I think Nathan McKinnon was the only player in the NHL last year that had, uh, he had averaged over five shots on goal per game. He was at 5.2, I believe. Pasternak was close at 4.9. Um, and just, so by shot volume alone and his career shooting percentage, Nathan McKinnon's a lock for 40 goals. The only thing with him is he always misses 10 to 15 games. Yeah. If he, if he can ever just play a full 82 games, he may, like if Connor fell asleep at the wheel, he may challenge Connor for, for an Art Ross trophy one year. But there's a lot of things that have to go right for that to happen. Yeah. I, I think that McKinnon is, you know, right up there. I mean, he generally seems to be considered the second or third best player in the world, depending on, you know, who you talk to. But I don't think he's ever going to take the Art Ross from Connor if if McDavid is healthy for a full year. It, it would have to be where he, McDavid misses 10-plus games, I think, for McKinnon to have a shot. Just yeah. because the the consistent point production from McDavid, it, it's it's not just that he you know, puts up a ton of points, you know, with these, you know, four point games all the time, but it's consistently multi-point game after multi-point game. I mean, last year he became the first player in NHL history to have uh, five 10 game point streaks in a season and three 15 game point streaks in a season. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy who just, when he gets on a roll, he can't stop. I believe there was one regular season game at home in the second half of the year where McDavid didn't have a point. So yeah, when you're able to put up that kind of offense, I mean, he's won the last three Art Ross trophies. Would it surprise anyone if he won the next three as well? No, not no, at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're comparing Dreisaitl and McKinnon, just to go back to that for a minute, um, if McKinnon is healthy, do you think that he would uh, have more fantasy points than Dreisaitl in a given year? Yeah, he can for sure. Um but he, but he hasn't to this point. And I think that for me, like some people will tell you, well, I don't take injuries into consideration. Well, 
for me, it plays a factor, right? It's not the factor, but it's something I consider. Um, I'd still rather have Leon Dreisaitl ahead of Nathan McKinnon in terms of fantasy. No, that and, makes and, sense. And in reality. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, we're Oilers fans as well, right? But I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, uh, look, Dreisaitl's got the, the the Hart Trophy and the Art Ross Trophy on his shelf. So I, I think he's still got that over. Even though McKinnon has the cup, I always say that's a team accomplishment. Um, yeah. When you just look, when you're comparing individual player to individual player, Leon Dreisaitl is the second most dominant offensive player in the league. Uh, and Bruce, where would you rank Dreisaitl going into the 23-24 season? Oh, he's a solid number two for me. I wouldn't. I would not rank him any lower than two. And you would think that uh, across the board, he's going to be two on most drafts this fall, unless you're Leaf Stan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been in a, a draft where Matthews was taken ahead of Drysital? Yes, and it was a Leaf Stan that took him. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and Devin, how about you? Oh yeah, I, I've seen it happen. I mean, well, look, we've all got our own biases, right? It's it. Does it, it shock you every time? They're like, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, look, Matthews had a sixty goal season, and that's great. And then everyone thought he was going to be a consistent like, was, sixty goal guy. Yeah, and 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 they were they were saying he was on the same plane as Connor McDavid, and it was just it was asinine. It was just it was insane. I don't know how people can make those comparisons. Like, uh, was it Jeff O'Neill on TSN? That guy drives me crazy. Because he constantly, <laughs> he's the big, he's, I mean, he's the biggest Leafs homer on on TSN, right? Oh, it's it's unbearable. It's like I can't listen to it. It drives me nuts. But uh, you know what? Like people have their own biases, right? So and probably exactly. people get annoyed with me when I talk about Drysaddle, but um, whatever it is, what it is. I think that you know, the, there there was there really wasn't a debate, but there was a a movement from Leafs fans earlier in Matthew's career where they were saying that, you know, he's narrowing the gap. He's getting closer to McDavid. He's getting closer. And pretty much over the last few years, McDavid has put any of those, uh, <laughs> those debates to rest. If you can even call them debates, uh, just the, the sheer offense that he's able to put up. I mean, I know Matthew's had 60 goals and then McDavid comes out and, uh, puts up 64. And I love that he got to 50 and 60 faster than Matthew's did. So, I mean, yeah. there, there really, uh, isn't even a debate, uh, in terms of like their, their top offensive season goals wise, but I know that Matthew's does have more 40 goal seasons than McDavid. So he's got that on him and he's won one extra rocket Richard. But, uh, I mean, I think, McDavid could win another rocket in his career. There, there's going to be a, a guy like, you know, Connor Bedard coming along eventually who will probably win a, a few of those. And Ovi owned the trophy for basically a decade. But I'm glad McDavid was able to sneak one in there at least. And uh, yeah, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be a, um, a, a surprise to me if he was able to at least pick up one more in his career. Well, it just reminded me so much of Sidney Crosby a few years ago when people said, well, he'll never win a, a Rocket Richard trophy. And yeah. And Crosby just went and did it to prove that he could. And then after that, he didn't really care. And you can kind of see that in Connor's numbers when you look at his shot volume too. Like there, he's now an elite company now where he's shooting over 11 and a half shots on goal per 60, which he wasn't doing early in his career. Uh, if I go look at his numbers here really quickly, this is the first season, I believe. Yeah, he was 11.5 this year, uh, 10.7, 9.7, 9.1, 8.1. So he's gotten better every single season since 2018, 2019. He's made a concerted effort to shoot the puck more. And this season, by a large margin, I mean, I know Ryan Rashog put out a a, a little five-minute uh, package on how McDavid has 
turned into one of the game's premier shooters, which, you know, you wouldn't have expected from him coming into the league because he was this all world uh, playmaker and, and speedster and was able to create so much off the rush. But now just adding that element to his game where he's also uh, one of the, the top goal scorers in the league makes him even more dangerous. Yeah, no question. 351 shots on goal last year. Yeah. Wow. And w- he was top three in the league in shots on goal, I think. You're somewhere in there. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but probably him and, and Pasternak. And uh, another guy I was actually really surprised by, and this Bruce, the... Was it Timo our, Meyer? Wasn't he, he right up there, too? He could have been up there, too. Jason yeah. Robertson, actually. He, he okay. shot 12.2 shots on goal per 60 last season. And he was briefly ahead of McDavid in the goals race there. I remember... Uh, he was the first to get to 20. I remember the NHL's Twitter account putting that out. And then it was like, well, you know, Connor was off to that incredible start where he had something like 18 goals in his first 18 games. Roberts briefly passes him for like two days and then McDavid takes it back and no one was in the lead for the, the league and goals the rest <laughs> of the way. Uh, yeah. I mean, when Connor decides he's doing something, he just does it and, and there's really exactly. no chance for anyone else to do anything. And just before we move on from McDavid, did you think at any point last season that he was going to hit 70? Yes. Yep. I, I thought too. he had a chance. In November, I put out a tweet. I said, I, I'm not going to say for sure that he does it, but the way that it's trending right now, it just feels like he is going to get there. And, you know, he came up a little short. He was at 60 with 10 games to go. And I'm like, okay, 10 goals in the last 10 games. Let's do it. And then, you know, unfortunately, he only had four um, in those those 10 games. But still, I mean, 64 is great. I would have been great if he even got two extra so he could have uh, beat Ovi for the, the highest single season goal total in the salary cap era. But, I mean, to finish one back of... Uh, who many people consider the greatest goaltender or goal scorer of all time is not bad either. No not bad at all. Um, I just wanted to really quickly here. Sorry, yeah. Eric, before we move on, uh, I got the shots pulled up here if you want them from last year. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so David Pasternak first overall at 407, then McKinnon at 366, McDavid at 352, Brady Kachuk actually at 347, um, Jack Hughes at 336. That rounds out your top five. Timo Meyer was at number six. Okay. Yeah, I thought I remember seeing him somewhere near the top last season. Yeah. Shots monster. There you go. And uh, other than the dynamic duo, which Oilers player do you think will put up the most fantasy points this season and why? Bruce, I'll go to you. Zach Hyman. I'm going to repeat what he did last year again. He just reminds me so much of Ryan Smith and what Ryan Smith does. Just Hyman is better than Smith. Yeah, I mean, I think for career value, Ryan Smith will end up being the the overall better player and and have more career points than Hyman did. Some of that is because Smitty started sooner too, and he was a you know a consistent twenty goal scorer through you know the bulk of his career with four thirty goal seasons sprinkled in there. But um, you look at Hyman, what he's doing right now. I mean, he's already beat um, Smith's peak season by about thirteen points and. Uh, he didn't beat his peak goal season. Uh, Smith did score 39 goals in 96-97. I think Hyman had, what, 36 goals and 83 points last year. So, um, you get the uh, eight that were called back that way. That's, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, <laughs> <got> it. <laughs> it's crazy to think that he, he should have had 40. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, when you're, well, when you're talking about that kind of a goal score and the way that, uh, you know, if you value all the other assets you talked about in the, the scoring system for fantasy hockey, it makes sense why he'd be up there. Definitely. So two interesting points on Hyman here quickly. Yeah. Some somebody had put something out. I can't remember if it was Money Puck or if it was Jay Fresh, but um 
Zach Hyman actually led the league in expected goals last year. It was like 51 goals expected. Um, so Bruce, your point to like goals being disallowed, that makes a lot of sense there. And then um, his shots on goal per 60 were up big time last year, 10.4 versus 8.6 and 8.3 the year prior. So he just shot the puck way, way more last year. And also give him a shout out. I saw Big Head Hockey put out today that he tied for the league lead with Sidney Crosby for backhand goals with eight. So, uh, you know, wow. <laughs> the king of the backhand, apparently. I, I love Hyman, just for the record. Um, yeah. Absolutely love yeah. that player. Like I didn't when he got signed, I kind of wasn't so sure. I didn't realize just how how important he would be in terms. Of, I like, didn't realize either. You know, when I when yeah, I first when I first looked at the because I mean, you know, we, we see Hyman, but he isn't one of the more talked about players on the Leafs when he was there. Right. So yeah. when when it, he's becoming a free agent and the Oilers are apparently interested, you look at the numbers like, oh, well, 21 goals is his career high. I think his career high in points was 41. So now you're committing a seven year deal, five plus million to uh, you know, a guy who's only cracked 40 points one time. And I mean, since he's come here what, 27 goals and 54 points last year where he missed some games this past year, career high, 36 goals, 83 points. I mean, he's just been everything the Oilers could have asked for and more. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and we've got him, Bruce, our projection is 32 goals and 72 points for next year. So I, I do yeah. expect some regression for him, but right. he's still going to be really, really good. I mean, you've, if he puts up 30 goals, I think that that's still a huge win. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Devin, uh, who is your pick for the Oilers' uh, best fantasy performer this coming season outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl? Well, I, I'm really bullish on Evander Kane. And, and considering, like, I, I'm i expecting some regression from Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman. Um, but the next guy I'm looking at here is Evander Kane. So I just really think the chemistry he's shown with Connor McDavid is is going to be on display again this season. And I think last year, it's it's more so about circumstantial evidence as opposed to actual numbers but um like he was still having issues personally with some of his insolvency or, or um bankruptcy stuff and right uh you know he was dealing with obviously his his injury like that he wasn't healthy when he came back for the playoffs and i know Stoffer had said too he probably could have stayed on ltir and they could have used that money and had him come back you know in the first round or something mm-hmm. but so i, I think that's something that's going to be pretty apparent when he comes back and he's he's shooting better than he was this past year yeah, his um, points per game and goals per game averages were both down, I believe, from the, his first year in Edmonton. But he he missed half a season. He only played 41 games last year. So I, I want to see what Evander Kane can do in a full 82-game season while healthy. So what, I, what I've got here, what I'm really curious to see, like a couple things quickly. Um, his team's even strength shooting percentage is Tavish Bruce. Was it 7.7% last year? That's one luck metric we look at. Uh, league average is, is usually around 8.75%, 9%. So that on its own says he should get a few more points uh, his power play shooting percentage was zero he only had 10 power play shots on goal um, so if he gets a little more ice time on the power play he could put up some additional points and then his his shot volume is still absolutely elite 11.42 shots on goal for 60 he was just outside the top 20 uh, league-wide so for me if he's healthy for a full 82 games i'm expecting close to 300 shots on goal 250 hits and 100 pims we've got him projected for 35 goals and 70 points yeah, there you go. And I mean, I, I just remember that series against uh, the Flames in, in the 2022 playoffs. And Evander Kane had one of the fastest, I believe, the sixth fastest hat trick in playoff history when he scored uh, the three goals in a span of almost, I think it was exactly six minutes in the second period of game three, I want to say. And it's just, 
the fact that he was able to score three goals, I don't know if you remember that game, but they were all three similar goals. It was a two-on-one yep. rush for all three goals where Connor dished it to him, and Markstrom just couldn't stop it any time. It was like copy-paste, copy-paste. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, if you if you, if you you stepped out of the room to grab a drink or something and came back, you might be thinking they're showing the goal and repeating. It was just <laughs> – it was a different goal. But, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah like, uh, he and Connor seem to have such chemistry. And the fact that he also is – you know, sort of a modern day enforcer too, where, you know, he does have that element of, you know, putting some fear in the opposition and knowing that he can drop the gloves if he has to. He's a, a strong player who can also kind of protect Connor a little bit out there, can dig out some pucks for him. And when he gets the sh- uh, chance to shoot in the slot, a lot of times he's going to find the twine because he just rips the puck. It just, the puck explodes off his blade when you get it to him in a good spot. So uh, having an all world passer like McDavid with him, it just seems like such a good fit. I want to ask you a question here, Eric. Yeah. Evan Bouchard. So I've heard, I've seen and heard a lot of projections for this guy. Mm-hmm. We've got him at 14 goals and 62 points, but where, where do you see him next year? Uh, well, I mean, I'm glad you guys said 62 points. I, I have him putting up over 60 as well. And, you know, I, the goal total, I haven't really decided on yet, but, you know, I'm starting to think that he could get close to 20. I really think he could. I mean, the last Oilers defenseman to score 20 goals in a season was Sheldon Surrey in 2008-2009 when he put in 23. I think Bouchard could be in that 18 to 20 range, especially with how he's shown, like I said, that he can beat goaltenders from range, even with his wrist shot. So, yep, yeah, 60 points I would go for. Um, and that that puts him in a special category too because the only defenseman in Oilers history who have had 60 points are Paul Coffey and Charlie Huddy. So it's been over 30 years since an Oilers defenseman has done that. And I just think that he's right now coming into his prime. He's going to be 24 years old in a couple months. And it just, it seems like he's taking off uh, to become one of those uh, top tier offensive defensemen in the league. Yeah, I, I agree. I can't wait to watch him this season. Yeah, it's going to be great. And, that, and like I said, that's, as much as McDavid and Dreisaitl are the driving forces, I think he's just going to be a reason why their power play is going to stay as deadly as it is. Yeah, I agree. All right, and uh, last my last question before we just uh, go into the, the final segment of the show here is, I want to know, give me one sleeper pick on the Oilers that uh, fantasy managers should grab if he's still on the board in the mid to late rounds. One Oilers player that they should be looking for. Uh, Devin, who do you have? Uh, I think Dylan Holloway is a guy to look at. Okay. I, I think it's kind of, it, it's starting to feel like, um, like fish or cut bait, right? Like he's, he's got to do something this year. And I think that third line probably with him and McLeod and, and maybe Fogel um, should be effective in, in some sheltered minutes or bottom six minutes. Um, and he may get some time in the top six too, if there's some injuries or, or if he does outperform some of the other guys. Like Con- one, Connor Brown, there's no, I mean, Connor Brown's another one too, I guess, but yeah. um, obviously some health concerns there. And so if Connor Brown falters, I mean, there's a spot there too in the top six that Dylan Holloway could probably scoop up. So um, those are probably two players right there. And I mean, I know very little about fantasy compared to the two of you guys, but Connor Brown just seems like such a smart pick uh, if he was still there in the later rounds, just because even though he's not going to be on the power play very likely, he should spend a decent amount of time five on five with McDavid. And if he's getting those opportunities at even strength, there's going to be some secondary assists. He's going to have uh, 
some tap-in goals. Like I just think that that would be a player who, when you when you look at who he's going to have the opportunity to play with, would make sense for a kind of a low-risk pick. Yep, hundred percent. And Bruce, we'll finish with you. Uh, who's your sneaky good pick uh, on the Oilers this year? Oh, Devin took mine. I was going to go with Holloway too. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe maybe the only other sneaky one possibly. This would be a really late round one. Uh, Ryan McLeod. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was on pace for, I think, uh, 35-ish points last year if he would have been healthy. So, I mean, I'd love to see if he could get into that 40-point range consistently. I think that's where he could be because he's another guy who's going to have to do the majority of his scoring um, at even strength or or shorthanded because he's not going to be on probably – the, ever the first power play unit and he might be able to get in 30 seconds of second power play unit time when they do yeah. get on the ice which isn't very often yeah. no, <laughs> i think it doesn't the oilers, very often i believe the oilers second unit scored one goal last year i think i remember jack michael saying that yeah very, that's pretty incredible <laughs> like they, they set the record for the the most dominant power play in nhl history and the first unit literally scored 99 percent of their goals yeah unbelievable yeah yeah uh and uh, just to wrap up the show, guys, um, like I said, you guys are new to the Heavy Hockey Network, but you've already put out some great content for us. Just is there anything that you guys want to promote or talk about just to like give fans an idea? I know you did put out your Pacific Division preview, as you kind of already mentioned. Uh, I'm just going to give the floor to you guys to just uh, talk about whatever you have coming up. Yeah, for me, I mean, um, maybe we'll just pull up this list here quickly of our kind of what's coming up. Um, that tomorrow, actually, we we're dropping a new episode. Uh, it is our Central Division Part One uh, Fantasy Preview, start, uh, featuring Stephen Ellis from DailyFaceOff.com. He's their associate editor and prospect analyst. Um, so we're covering Arizona, Chicago, Colorado, and Dallas. So those are two very interesting teams, especially in terms of uh, prospect pools for Arizona and Chicago. So that'll that'll drop tomorrow. Uh, we've got Jason Chen, who's also with the Hockey News. He looks after all the fantasy hockey content for the Hockey News. Uh, he's joining us on Sunday. That'll drop next week. Um, we've got Flip Livingstone from Locked On Fantasy Podcast, uh, Mike Lamato from Sportsnet, Johnny Lazarus from the NHL Network. Uh, I believe Pete Jensen will be joining us at some point, probably in September. Uh, Ian Gooding from Dauber Hockey and Nate Groot Nibblink from uh, Apples and Geno. So we've got lots and lots of great guests lined up uh, from now until the start of the regular season, helping us just walk all of our listeners through and, and get them prepared for uh, fantasy hockey season. I guess in terms of content too, um, we did have our, our five potential busts uh, in 2023-2024. That's on our website. We posted that to uh, Heavy Hockey. That was our first kind of uh, contribution to the site there. And so I, I think, Bruce, you and I both want to try and just be pushing out more content on the Heavy Hockey site um, Definitely. throughout the regular season. So we've got some fantasy hockey content there. Yeah, I mean, it was an awesome yeah. article. And uh, as the site editor, I was the first one to read it so i kind of got the, <laughs> to see the i got to see the predictions first so uh i mean uh excellent article by, by you devin and uh i think the one that maybe some oilers fans were a little bummed to hear might be that you had at number five nugent hopkins taking a bit of a drop but uh um we, why don't we just go uh, finish with him too like uh you said that he could take a bit of a step back but what sort of numbers do you think he could put up yeah i i think I mean, in the article, 100 points is going to be tough to repeat. It will. I mean, I don't know many players that at age 28 or 29 put up, you know, go from averaging 
I don't know, what was it, 69 or 70 points a year to now 104 points and 37 goals. Like it was just, and so the article talks about that in depth, you know, based on the five luck metrics and kind of what you would expect to see based on, on his career averages. And I mean, he's, he'll probably still put up 50 points on the power play, right? Like that, that's not yeah. going to surprise me. Um, but there's just way too many red flags for me. I, I think he could drop by as much as 23 points. Um, Which would if, still if, have him at near a point per game pace. Yeah, so I, I've got him at 26 goals and 82 points for next year, and I think if that's the outcome, we're all really, really happy with that still. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I never thought. Season. Right, and I mean, look, I believe he recorded his 100th point of the season about two weeks before his 30th birthday. So, you know, very uncommon that a player in their 12th NHL season finally hits the century mark, especially when his career high had only been 69 to that point. Yeah. So you look at his career, like, um, some people were a bit down on him saying he hadn't lived up to the hype of a first overall pick. And I mean, I, I think they don't necessarily take into consideration all the other things he does other than put points on the board. But obviously when you are picked that high, the expectation is there that you are going to be an elite producer. However, last year he kind of quieted his doubters and was able to get a hundred points for the first time. Um, yeah. Is he going to repeat 104 points and be the, what was it the third highest Canadian born scorer in the league? I, I don't know if he, if he'll do that again, <laughs> but, uh, and I mean, Zach Hyman too, like the Oilers had three of the top 10, um, highest scoring Canadians in the league last year. Yeah. So for, to, to have Nugent Hopkins hit 104 again, like I said, that, that would be very tough, but realistically, if you have a guy in his 13th season, who's putting up still at a point per game pace, you'll take that all day. So, uh, I Absolutely. mean, 82 points for Nugent Hopkins sounds great. Yeah, we'll take it. Uh, so yeah, we, I mean, we'll be doing a lot more stuff like that throughout the season. Um, we're, we're probably most active on, on Twitter, or I guess we have to call it X now. Um, <laughs> I, st- I still call it Twitter. I'm, I don't know if I'll ever fully make the change. So I, one thing that we had done in years past and we kind of got away from last year, um, was our, our daily fantasy hockey thoughts tweets. And so I, I want to hopefully get back to that this year. So that'll just provide some, some fantasy nuggets each morning for, for our followers to, uh, to get up to speed on what's going on fantasy wise. That's awesome. And hopefully we'll have more articles from you, Devin, and also Bruce, uh, you as well in the future. I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on fantasy, both on the podcast form and the written form as well. So that's awesome. And uh, guys, just uh, before we call it a night, uh, where can people follow you? Uh, on, on Twitter, like I said, or, or X, uh, at FH hacks. Uh, we're also on Instagram, fantasy hockey hacks. If you want to follow us we're on threads, fantasy hockey hacks there as well. Uh, we do have some YouTube content every once in a while. I'll post shorts there or, or sometimes episodes that get posted there. Um, and then fantasy hockey hacks.com. So weekly, weekly articles and podcasts will be there. Uh, and just, we can, you can find us on all of your major podcast directories as well. And Bruce for you. Uh, for me, I just have my uh, my Twitter or Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. It's just at Bruce Gunther. Uh, it's where I'm I'm mostly uh, mostly do most of my posting. All right. Well, everyone, please go give those guys a follow. And I hope that we can do this again at some point this season. Thanks again for jumping on the podcast tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. All right. So for Devin Davidson and Bruce Gunther, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever podcast. We're out.